All right, well, it is good to be with you in person this morning, and I appreciate your prayers for our family, and we're doing great. Um, we are thankful for that, and we certainly want to continue to pray for the many people who are affected uh, by COVID. I want to specifically mention uh, one of our staff members, Dan Brown. Uh, who uh, leads our production team. He's been out for a few weeks because he's actually in the hospital with uh, pneumonia uh, resulting from COVID. And so we want to continue to pray for him uh, and uh, pray that uh, he continues to recover. Um, uh, I want to say to you who are visiting with us that we are incredibly glad to have you with us. And if you're watching online, uh, perhaps for the first time, then we're so glad to have you join us online. And we would love to connect with you. You can text the word connect to the number that you see on the screen. And one of our staff members will follow up with you. And we'd love to get to know you and help you uh, find out how you can get involved in the life of our church. Uh, speaking of get involved in the life of our church, this past week, we celebrated 13 uh, members, new members who have completed the membership process. Uh, and so if I'm going to le- read off the names of those members, and, and if you are in here, if you would just stand uh, when I call your name. So those new members are Ryan and Jennifer Conk, Jean and Michelle Fuller, Daniel and Midori Hayes, Corey and Ashton Lacrone, Gregory and Lisa Wade, and Grant, Jody, and Elijah Waller. So church family, if you rejoice in these new members, if you would just let them know that. So... Uh, we're so uh, we're so glad to have you as a part of our church family. All right, well, open your Bible to Mark chapter five and find verse twenty-one. We are covering a good chunk of scripture today, and I have a lot to say because it has a lot to say. So we need to jump right in and learn more about how Jesus is greater than fear and how trusting in Him helps us to have peace. Today's sermon is titled "Do Not Fear, Only Believe." Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So from the the region of the Gadarenes or Gerasenes where they were, they cross over uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 tells us that they crossed into his own city. So Jesus and the disciples go back to Capernaum. In Luke's gospel, he tells us that Jesus is welcomed or gladly received by the people there. The language that Mark uses is that the crowd is pressed up upon Jesus. Jesus returns to his hometown. Jesus is beginning to make a name uh, for himself. And so the crowd is adjusting their schedule. They're beginning to revolve things around the appearance of Jesus. Just like today in a town when a prominent figure makes an appearance, often things, traffic, people's schedules are adjusted, except for then they really didn't have anything else to do. There was no other entertainment. So it was quite the big deal that this prominent figure uh, appears in Capernaum. Verse 22 says, then came out, came, excuse me, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He is responsible for leading worship, leading instruction, overseeing the administration of the synagogue. Now, there's some debate on how you pronounce this name Jairus. You might hear it said in other ways. I'm gonna go with Jairus, and if you have a problem with that, I would tell you that it's actually 
Iris in the Greek, which is from uh, Yair in the Hebrew. So let's just be okay with me calling him Jairus, all right? So uh, this is kind of like in the modern day, if a pastor were to go to Jesus, if a pastor were to go to someone and ask him for help. You know, there was actually a pretty good split in Jesus's time uh, in the synagogues about Jesus. Uh, and at this time, by this time, more were becoming increasingly less in favor of Jesus because it was becoming um, a, a cultural problem, a social problem to really follow Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. But this ruler of the synagogue comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. Grown men did not fall at the feet of another man, especially distinguished, dignified, respected religious leaders. Now today, I would even say that if a man comes and falls at the feet of another man, begging him for something, he's either whack, I mean, he's just kind of out of sorts and uh, maybe has personality issues or something like that, or he's desperate for something. Jairus was desperate. His daughter is sick. She's at the point of death. Luke tells us that this is Jairus' only daughter. Many scholars believe that this is Jairus' only child. But again, I want to reiterate that grown men didn't do this, even in this kind of situation. You see, the mortality rate in this area was high uh, at, at this time in the world. And estimates are that 40 to 60% of children who survived childbirth would die before adulthood, which adulthood at that time was like 13 or 14 years old. Now, before any of you teenagers get any ideas here, remember that those 13 and 14-year-olds work 12 hours a day to support their family when most of you work zero hours a day and are given an iPhone by your family. So even though you felt the way you might feel on the inside in this situation about your child being near death, you could not let society see the desperation you had. People were not allowed to be honest because of how it might appear or how you might be viewed by those who have it together. And there were those who had lost children who would be offended by the fact that you were hurt and expressing your hurt. So you couldn't really be vulnerable because you might appear a certain way to people to have it together and because others might have a problem because of their pain. We've come a long way today, right? Okay, so what Jairus, we haven't, by the way, what Jairus shows us about the kind of heart we should have is compelling here. See, Jairus was honest about his desperate need. He was honest about his desperate need. He loved his daughter. He was desperate for his daughter to be healed. And he believed if Jesus touched her, that he would be healed. And so he comes and he bows at the feet of Jesus, begging him to heal his daughter. Verse 34 tells us, or verse 24 tells us, Jesus went with him, and he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Jesus follows Jairus to his home, pressing through the crowds to get there. But we need to pause. We need to interrupt this story because there is in, an interruption in the story. Look at verse 25. 
And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Jesus is trying to make his way through the crowd. He's trying to make his way through the crowd of needs to meet one need. There are all these needs around him as he tries to set his sights on going to help one person, going to help one family. This is how ministry can be. You're doing what you believe God is calling you to do. You're trying to help someone, and yet there are all these other needs around you. And as we follow the life of Jesus, we see Jesus did not heal everyone who was around him. And, and we really don't fully know why Jesus chose to heal who he did and not heal who he didn't. We do know that all of those who he healed centered around God getting glory. But here, Mark tells us about a woman who doesn't wait to find out if she was one of the ones that Jesus was gonna choose. She comes up to Jesus and she touches him. Now the gospels leave this woman's name out because no one really knows who she is anyway. Speculation has been made about her identity, but we really don't know. And we really don't hear about this story too much because I think it kind of makes us uncomfortable. You know, I don't think I've ever seen this story in the Children's Illustrated Bible. I mean, could you imagine that? Like you're teaching kids and, oh, why is she bleeding? And you're like, snack time, you know, like, let's move on. Well, what is wrong with her? Well, she likely has Von Willebrand disease, which is a disease that essentially causes you to not stop bleeding. And often it leads to menorrhagia, which is uh, when women have uh, heavy, uncontrollable bleeding during menstruation. Now, this still exists today and it can be treated today, but even sometimes in extreme cases, it requires the removal of the uterus today. Now, this is 2,000 years ago. And so this woman is suffering through this for 12 years. As long as Jairus' little girl has been alive, this woman has been sick. And the text tells us that she suffered under many physicians. She went and got second opinions and third opinions and went to many different doctors and no one has been able to help her. And the text tells us that she spent all that she had on this treatment. I guess the cost of medical care is not just a 21st century issue. Now, I want you to be aware of the context in which they were in. This is a Jewish community. Leviticus 15 tells us that this woman, because of her bleeding, would be unclean. Here's what this means. No one has touched this woman for 12 years. No one has hugged her. No one has put their hand on their shoulder to pray for her. No one has held her hand. Based on our understanding of her age, she isn't married. She doesn't have children. She's alone. She's isolated. The only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. And she can't go to the temple. She can't go to the synagogue to worship. She isn't allowed to be in crowds. Now, as I was preparing for this morning, 
thinking about this woman's condition, it really made me very thankful for our deacons and other members of our church who make it a priority to minister to our shut-ins and our homebound, specifically widows and widowers who are alone. This woman is sick. She can't find a cure. She's broke from spending all her money, understandably, on trying to find a cure. And she's alone. You have to wonder, what did she heard about Jesus? The text tells us she heard about him. Now, we know that during Jesus' time, there was a theory that the Messiah would be so powerful that even the wings of his garments would possess healing. This is from a prophecy in Malachi chapter 4. Maybe she heard that, and she thought, maybe it's true. And then maybe she heard about Jesus, and she thought, maybe he is the one. And if I could just touch the wings of his garment, I'll be healed. But here's the issue. She's not supposed to be in public. If people see her, they'll scorn her. Matthew chapter 9, verse 21 actually tells us that when she said, if I touch him, maybe I'll be healed, that she said it within herself. Because if she said it out loud, the crowd would prevent her from getting to Jesus. And so she sneakily makes her way through the crowds. And as Jesus passes by, she reaches out and she grabs hold of the hem of his clothes And she clutched it and she grabbed it like it was a rope and pulled it when she did. Verse 29 says, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. The literal Greek translation says, immediately was dried up the fountain of blood. Verse 30, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Now, this is Mark's description of what happened, and the best way that Mark knows how to describe this is that Jesus knew that the power that he had been given by God was used to heal, and so he asked, who touched me? Luke tells us that everybody denied it, saying it wasn't me. Luke also tells us that it was Peter who specifically said, Jesus, there's a huge crowd around you. Why would you ask who touched you? You know, Peter has this ability to fill silent moments with stupidity. And I feel so seen by this. But you know what else? Jesus chose Peter to be the leader of his church. So you can make fun of us, get out in front, too soon types all you want. But God likes to use us for his glory. All right. All right, I'm good now. The great irony here is this question. That these crowds are are surrounding Jesus, touching Jesus, bumping up around Jesus, and yet he says, who touched me? And I think that's the point of him asking that question is the irony of that question. It captures the significance of this woman touching him specifically. In verse 32, he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him, 
the whole truth. She knew something was different. She knew after dealing with this for 12 years, she was healed. And so she came like Jairus and bowed at the feet of Jesus and told him everything. And verse 34 says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now notice what Jesus calls this woman. He calls her daughter. Jesus identified this woman as daughter. This woman who feels used up, pushed aside, forgotten, ignored, and rejected. Now, I have come to realize a lot of things as being a pastor for most 15 years, and one of them is that I'm not a great leader of a women's ministry. And, and I realize that I'm not always the best at speaking to women, even in my own house. And so this is one of the priorities I have for 2022, is how do we like, how do we develop a stronger, coordinated women's ministry that isn't all about, you know, getting flowers and stuff, but is about the word of God and where women voices, which we have many great ones are speaking. And so I'm praying about that and like, let's go. Um, so, so I say all that to just say like, I realize that sometimes I struggle at how to communicate certain things to women and, and am hesitant to speak directly to women on certain things. I, when we went to India, uh, I went six times to India and one, uh, several times we didn't have any ladies with us and, and Pastor Justin came with us and he would speak to the women because he was much better at it than I was. That's not a joke, that was a true story. That really did happen. He would lead the women's Bible studies. But anyway, all that being said, women, ladies, I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to hear the heart of Jesus and hopefully through my heart you hear that because maybe your father wasn't there for you or maybe boys and men have ignored you or objectified you. Maybe your husbands have neglected you or husbands have hurt you. Other women have neglected and rejected you. The world has torn you down. Maybe you've even tried to make up for the cards that you have been dealt and made choices that have pushed you further into inadequacy. For whatever reason, today you feel shame and you feel guilt, and you feel worthless. But you're thinking. You're thinking of going to Jesus, and you're hesitant, because what is Jesus? What does God really think of you? Pay attention. Jesus doesn't say, you've got something wrong with you. You need to get cleaned up and pure before you come to me. What do you have to offer me? He says, you're my daughter. You're my daughter. And I need to say to the men who maybe never felt good enough for your dad 
or never received awards in your youth. Or maybe you're not a success story in your eyes. Maybe you've had some mess ups that keep getting brought up. You've been betrayed by the woman you trusted. You've never met the definition of manliness of those around you. Maybe you've even tried to make up for your insecurity by masking it or by drowning it in alcohol or food or porn. And you feel shame and you feel guilt and you feel worthless. But you're thinking about going to Jesus and you're hesitant because what does God really need of you? What can he really do with you? Pay attention. Jesus doesn't say you've got something wrong with you. You need to prove yourself to me. Why do I need you? He says, you're my son. You see, what Jesus wants you to see is that your identity, the reason you were created, is to be a daughter of God or a son of God. I hope you see that today. Now, I want you to notice that it was not the garment that made this woman well. It was her faith. It was not the garment that made this woman well. It was her faith. Don't think that you being in this building today or another church building is going to bring you healing. Don't think that dressing in a certain way or a church leader dressing in a certain way is going to heal you. I think it's obvious that I believe that. People can wear their robes and their things with emblems on them, but I don't mean this to be rude. It doesn't do anything. Don't think that facing in a certain direction or praying with a certain cadence is going to heal you. And not everyone who does religious stuff who comes close to Jesus is healed. In fact, I think a lot of times these things give us a false sense of security. And they allow us to take this form of godliness and avoid God. And avoid the real issues in our heart and the real healing we need. This woman wasn't allowed to do the ceremonial things. In fact, the, the priest and the, the synagogue leaders kind of neglected their responsibilities because they didn't want to touch what was unclean. And so they wouldn't even minister to her. But you know what? She didn't need the temple. She didn't need the synagogue. She didn't need the religious leaders. She just needed Jesus. And it wasn't that she went and touched the garment of Jesus that healed her. It was that she was desperate and she believed Jesus could heal her. And he did. Now, while this occasion, this is moving, and certainly it's worth the interruption this morning and in the text, I want you to now place yourself in the shoes of Jairus. You see, this daughter of God had been waiting for 12 years to be healed, but Jairus's daughter didn't have 12 years. She might not even have 12 hours. And what we're reading about is taking some time. I mean, it certainly tells us that she sits and tells Jesus about what she's been through and who she is and what she did. And verse 35 says, and while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? They come and they say, hey, we know you came to 
see if he could bring healing to your daughter, but it's too late. So this dad wasn't there for his little girl's passing away. Not because he didn't love her, but because he was trying to save her. Can you imagine? I have a precious little daughter and you miss out on the last moments that you have with her because you're trying to heal her. Verse 36 says, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. I have to imagine that Jesus is looking right at Jairus. And he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And Jairus, who's very familiar with situations like this woman who was bleeding, has just seen Jesus do pretty much the impossible. So Jairus doesn't get upset, doesn't say forget about it because it doesn't happen on his terms, on his timing. And I gotta say, that's where some of you are. You wanted healing and you wanted Jesus to intervene and he didn't do it the way you wanted or when you wanted and you were like, fine then, I give up on you, Jesus. Why'd you give up on your faith? Well, you, ask, you know, I asked God to help with the thousands of dollars of debt I've racked up and the several decades of bad choices I've made and it's been two months and everything isn't all back to normal. Or, or maybe it is healing and he hasn't healed you completely or he hasn't healed you the way you thought he would do. Or maybe it's you don't know what to do in a bad situation or a bad relationship and it's not getting any better. But Jesus healed this woman right in front of Jairus' eyes. And Christians, we've seen the faithfulness of Jesus. And as Christians, we proclaim in our profession of faith and our baptism that Christ died and rose again. And so if we understand that Christ has demonstrated this kind of authority, then we should not fear. We should believe. Because if Christ was not spared on the cross, how will God not with him graciously give us all things? And so verse 37 says they moved on to Jairus' house and he, Jesus, allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Luke makes it clear that there was, there was a crowd following him to the house, but no one besides these three followed him into the house. Verse 38 says they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered... He said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, in this day, burial would take place on the same day as a death. So some of this was the crowd that was getting ready to prepare for the funeral. Matthew tells us that flute players were there. And the reaction to Jesus, we'll see, is laughter, which affirms that some of these people were not close people to the family. Likely, there are hired mourners there. Verse 40, and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Mark includes the actual Aramaic phrase to capture the words 
of Jesus for his original audience. Little girl, walk. And immediately, verse 42, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Luke says that her spirit returned to her and she got up at once. There's debate on whether or not this girl was actually dead, you know, because Jesus said she was sleeping. It was the same day. I think so, that she was dead based on the language used and what's told, but whether she was dead or not, the miracle is still amazing and the authority of Jesus is still clear and he certainly will prove that he has authority over death. And Jesus charges them not to tell anyone about it, I assume, so he could preach without too many distractions, even though that was already a challenge with the size of the crowd. And Jairus' daughter, so he came and begged Jesus on his knees, at his feet, to heal is healed. And with both Jairus and the woman who was bleeding, we see people who are desperate. And so they push past social boundaries and they go to Jesus. What Jesus could do for them was more important than what society thought of them. What Jesus could do for them was more important than what society thought of them. In both of these situations are people pushing past societal expectations, societal boundaries in their desperation for Jesus' help. They both went public with what society says should be private. Maybe today you need to be honest about your emotion and how desperate you are like Jairus. You need to talk about your anger and your sadness from what has happened to the person that you love. You need to talk about the diagnosis of infertility and how it makes you feel. You need to talk about how hopeless you feel in your marriage. You need to open up to someone about how lost and empty you feel in this life. Maybe you need to come out of the shadows like this woman You see, shame thrives in secrecy. This woman, as she is withdrawn from society, just is likely to have her shame compounding upon itself. And that's often as much our choice, by the way, as it is anyone else's choice to put us in that situation. Shame does that to people. It makes us want to hide lest we get exposed and more humiliated about whatever it is that we're going through. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. This woman is not allowed in the synagogue. And so maybe you have to take the chance of exposing your flaws. And here's the thing I would say to you, most of the people around you love you. And they'll be so glad that you did. And they will love you and they want to help you. You will be surprised at the compassion that you are met with, met with, excuse me. And I can assure you that Jesus is ready to meet with you about that. Brene Brown, author Brene Brown, calls this speaking your shame. She says that verbalizing shame diffuses it and a lot of its secret power. Maybe you need to tell someone about the past abuse or reckon honestly with the words or insults that you've endured. Maybe you need to expose and verbalize those thoughts of self-doubt or insecurities that come from disabilities or the secret fears that you have about your life. 
Maybe you need to be honest about the temptations you're dealing with. Maybe you're experiencing same-sex attraction and you don't know what to do with it. Maybe your marriage is in a bad place. Maybe your money is out of control. And whatever it is, you feel ashamed because of it. And the church should be the one place where it's really safe to talk about that. And you think, if they just knew what's going on with me or what I've been through or what I think or what I feel, and and maybe you have been rejected because of it. I hope that you haven't experienced this at this church. I hope that you won't experience this. I guarantee you, you won't experience it from me if you come and talk to me. And I guarantee you there there are a lot of people here who you won't experience this from you. And I 100% guarantee you that you won't experience this from Jesus. And like this woman, God is calling you, Jesus is calling you to speak your shame, to tell the whole truth. And in the church, it should be the place where it is okay to not be okay. You see, as Christians, we understand that Jesus only saves broken people because that's the only kind of people that there are. Jesus only saves broken people because that's the only kind of people there are. A preacher friend of mine used to always say that there are two kinds of people in this world, messy people and messy people who dress nice. As Christians, we understand that everyone is broken and Jesus came for broken people. The church is not supposed to be a trophy case for the righteous, but a hospital for the broken. And if we have a trophy that we want to lift up and we want to exalt, our trophy is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And without it, we are nothing. And the big question here in this text, the big question for us today, the big question this leaves us with is this this challenge, this issue that the audience and the crowd, specifically the religious crowd, are dealing with, and that is this. What typically happens when an unclean thing touches a clean thing? The clean thing doesn't make the unclean thing clean. This is like Dr. Seuss. The unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean. Think about it like a sickness. What happens if a sick person comes in close contact with a healthy person? We're very aware of this right now. The health of a healthy person doesn't pass on to the sick. If anything transfers from one to another, it's the sickness of the sick going to the healthy. We don't say, wow, my kid is sick. They've been throwing up all weekend. I think I'll drop them off in the church nursery with all the healthy kids so that their wellness will rub off on them. If you think that way, maybe consider visiting another church. (laughs) In the same way, when the unclean thing touches the clean, the clean thing becomes unclean. But here with Jesus, when the unclean thing touches the clean thing, the unclean thing becomes clean. So what happened to the uncleanness? That's the million dollar question. And the answer is, although you can't see it, Jesus silently takes the uncleanness onto himself. You see, Jesus is on the way to die on a cross where he will bear all uncleanness and all of our sin and all of our shame. 
And Jesus is removing the fountain of blood by becoming the fount of blood that never runs dry. He is resurrecting this girl by dying for this girl and giving her the resurrection of eternal life. And it's Jesus' death and resurrection that is the assurance of his command to not fear and only believe. Jesus' death and resurrection is the assurance of his command to not fear and only believe. You see, for them, it was a looking forward. And the more they spent with Jesus, the more they trusted in Jesus, they saw the authority of Jesus and how they could not fear and only believe. For us today, we understand what Jesus has done to prove to us that we do not have to fear, that we only should believe. That Jesus died on the cross, bearing our uncleanness, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, going to death in the grave, and on Sunday rising again, and not only rising from the grave physically, but promising us a spiritual physical resurrection one day. This is why everything we sing, everything we talk about, all of our conversations, all of our friendships must be centered around the gospel, because how is it possible to not fear and only believe? Because the more we believe in the power of Jesus, the more those fears shrink away. It's a process that God is doing in our lives in to eternity. And what we understand from this passage of scripture is that the earthly healing of Jesus was the lesser work and only existed to serve the greater work of Jesus. And the life of Jesus is not ultimately about our wellness physically, mentally, emotionally. It's about our wholeness. wholeness. It's about shalom. It's about peace that comes from understanding who Christ is, what he has done, and that he looks at us and our sin and our shame, and he says, daughter, son. See, God knew what he was doing, and Mark knew what he was doing when he writes this. Because you have this Jairus who wants his daughter to be healed. And she doesn't just need healing, she needs resurrection. And Jesus looked at the woman in the same way. She didn't need only healing. She needed resurrection. That's what we need. That's what being a Christian is. And when we understand that God looks at us and says we can have that, go and be healed. Don't fear. Only believe. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the confidence we can have in our belief because of your life, your death, and your resurrection and your promise that we would be daughters and sons for eternity. May that identity shape every moment of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.